Hello and welcome to the FilmPulse.net podcast. This is episode number 98. My name is Adam. With me today we have Kevin. How are you, Kevin? I'm doing all right. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Or sh- uh, should I say happy holidays? Yeah. Keep it keep it safe. Stay yeah. with the happy holidays. Well, we're recording this on the 23rd, so all of you listeners, I hope you have a wonderful holiday. We're going to keep things uh, somewhat tight. Uh, I'm visiting family in Pennsylvania, so... I do want to, I did want to get this episode out there. Uh, today we'll be going over some of what we've been watching before jumping into a feature review of American Hustle. And finally we'll be covering this week's movie predictions, new on video on demand, and DVD and Blu-ray releases. First up, let's go ahead and jump right into it. Kevin, we'll start with you this week. What do you got going on? Uh, the first movie I watched was The Attack. Yeah, I, I, uh, I saw... Saw this, but I mean, I didn't see the movie. I saw, I read about it, but had no interest. <clears throat> you made the right decision. Don't see it. It uh, it sort of it tries to I don't know. I guess touch on the Palestinian-Israeli conflict through the story is uh, like a preeminent Arab surgeon who works in Israel and. One day there's a suicide bombing at a restaurant. Victims are coming in. He's actually, you know, performing surgery on a couple of them, a lot of them children. And then later that night he finds out that the suicide bomber was his wife. Mm-hmm. And then it, yeah, gets complicated. Uh, and then it sort of shifts into this, like, mystery thriller, thriller mode where he goes back to, like, his hometown to try and find out who brainwashed her and all this stuff, and <clears throat> it should be a very powerful film, but it just merely scratches at the surface of all the complicated subject matter that they're, de- that they're dealing with, and it just, it comes really comes off as, like, a really rough draft of wow. a great film. I see. Like, there's a good film in here, but it needs a lot of work, and that ship has sailed, so mm. I don't, I do not recommend it. Um, yeah, I don't think I'll be, uh, like, I remember when this first came out on, like, Video On Demand, or maybe it was DVD or something, and I just, it didn't sound appealing to me. Yeah, I mean, they, they make some good points in it, but I feel as though, I haven't seen Inshallah earlier this year, I think that Inshallah handled this a lot better, and that, and I mean, that film was even flawed. Yeah. Uh, well, I saw The Spectacular Now which uh, is, this is one that's been getting a lot of critical praise. This It feels like this year's uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower. Yep, that's exactly what I was going to say. It is kind of this year's Perks of Being a a Wallflower. Now, I actually liked Perks of Being a Wallflower more than this. And I I just, this is one of these movies where I just can't quite understand why everybody's loving it so much. Um, I found it, a little slightly typical as far as high school movies. Now, like the whole hook is that, you know, there's this, there's this kid who's, he's played by Miles Teller and he's uh, like a popular kid. He's got great girlfriend, whatever his girlfriend breaks up with him. And it turns out that he's basically an alcoholic and like, he never knew his father. Like his father left when he was young and he, sets out to go find his father when he does you know he realizes like oh shit i'm turning into my dad and 
So he starts distancing himself from his uh, new girlfriend, who's played by uh, Shailene Woodley. And I just wasn't really... It just didn't wow me. Like, there wasn't anything that I could really latch on to with this. Like, I think it is a decent portrayal of high school life, but it's really nothing that I haven't seen before. And it was like, it was pretty well written, but for some reason, I just couldn't, I just really couldn't get on board with this one. And I know a lot of people have been, but it's funny though, because I've seen, I feel like I've seen Miles Teller and other things, but in this movie, like as soon as it started, I go, I bet he's from Pennsylvania. And I looked it up. (laughs) I looked it up and sure enough, he is. He's He's got, yeah, he's got this super thick accent going on. I think a lot of people will like it. I mean, a lot of people that that have seen it have been really liking this movie. It just wasn't for me. And I don't think you would like it either. Okay. Well, I, I'm slightly interested just because it's the same director that did Smashed. Yeah, and it's it's about alcoholism, so. So he's got he's got that theme rolling through his movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's more than just about alcoholism. There's there is like a love story that's happening there, and he's you know it. I've been seeing all these movies lately, and there's this this little thing that I've been doing before movies where. I'll if I'm seeing it with my girlfriend, I'll lean over and say, "They're gonna learn from each other," <laughs> because I feel like that's that's been the theme in all the movies I've been watching lately. Uh, it usually is. It usually is a theme. Uh, I continued my uh, Paradise trilogy mm. that I'm watching in the order of two, three, one. Yeah. So I watched the third one, uh, Paradise Hope. Which was much better than Paradise Faith, mm-hmm. but still a bit redundant and banal. I feel like less happens in Hope than in yeah. any other ones. Less happens. Uh, I think the characters are developed a lot better than they were in Faith. And I think that he gets his point across in Hope a lot more than he does in Faith. Um, but again, it just, like at a certain point, it just it felt like the record just started skipping and it just kept showing me the same thing over and over and over again. Um, but like I said, I liked it a, a lot more than faith. I love the, the, the cinematography mm-hmm. that he, that he employs in these films. I just, I don't know why just, and it seems like all Austrians do this, that static frame. Mm-hmm. I love and it. I just absolutely love it. And the thing that I like about your excital is Every so often, he'll break out, and it'll switch to handheld. And I find myself that during these Paradise movies, that that's what I'm waiting for. Mm. I like I'm paying more attention to the camera work than the actual story. Well, because that's when you, if if he breaks out into the handheld, that's when you know something's going to happen. Exactly, and I do like that as like a little marker. That and it, I I don't know because I haven't seen Love yet. So I'm not sure. This is just sort of like a theory that I have going right now. Is that the handheld sort of breaks breaks into handheld when the the main character is sort of losing their titular feeling, whether it be hope or faith. But like I said, I don't know with love yet. I don't even remember. I'm I'm too far removed. Because faith, it was the handheld at the end with that fight on the floor with her husband. That was the only time 
uh, handheld was incorporated and mostly in Hope the only handheld was during like the forest excursions with uh, Melanie and the, the doctor. <laughs> the one where she was conscious and the other one where she was sort of like in an alcoholic coma. Mm-hmm. And it, that was the other thing that was very uneasy because it always just kept skirting oh, yeah. on, on the line of this is this is really wrong. Yeah. It's so uncomfortable. So I'm looking forward to love because it, it seems like everyone's saying love's the best. I thought love was the best. Maybe it was just because it was the first one and I was just like, oh, wow. Yeah. But I think I, from, from mostly what I'm reading is everyone loves love. They think that that's the best. Everyone thinks the weakest is faith. And everyone's sort of in the middle and hope. Like, yeah, it was good. Well, that's exactly how I am. So that's I'm pretty much shaping up to be the same way, too. And I also like the fact that I, even though I haven't seen Love, I've heard a lot about it because we had Ryan watch it. And then my wife watched it, too. And she was telling me bits about it, especially with the whole, like, Love. She She's all upset because her daughter's never calling her. But in hope, you actually see that she does call her. Mm-hmm. And in, in hope, it, it it's sort of like this. There's hope that she's not going to turn into her mother. But you can easily see Melanie starring in Paradise Love in 30 Yeah, she's, she's, it's, <laughs> she's going the same route. Yeah, I mean, she's like, what, four, 14 or something in that movie? Yeah. And she's like already be tr- at least trying to be kind of promiscuous. Yeah, and... Just lo- looking for love in all the wrong places. Right. She just she just feels lonely, even as a fourteen year old girl. And then uh, one like side note here is: Did they do any like what kind of fat camp is this? Like all the exercises they were doing were ridiculous. I don't know. It was just... it was a weird fat camp. <laughs> <laughs> like they did absolutely no exercising whatsoever. It was just like walking around a building. Yep. It was, it was great. Uh, I saw Don John. Don John? Yeah. How was Don John? Directed by Joseph Gordon-Levitt. This is his directorial debut, and I gotta say, he did a pretty fantastic job. Yeah? Yeah. It It's pretty great. I really, really enjoyed this movie. A lot funnier than I thought it would be. Um, Sort of like, very much like American Hustle, which which we'll get into in a bit. These characters are are slightly exaggerated versions of, you know, these kind of typical Jersey-type characters. Mm-hmm. So they were a little bit, like, unrealistic. Like, there was never a moment where I was thinking to myself, that's not Joseph Gordon-Levitt. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I, I was always fully aware that these were actors in this environment, but it, it didn't really bother me too much like it didn't pull me out of it necessarily um it was still very funny like i still really enjoyed the story i liked everything like the just just how he was and like the kind of transformation that he went through and how you think that it's going to go one way and it doesn't like it just it doesn't go the way you expect it to go yeah and that's that's one thing that i really liked about this and Tony Danza was in it, so... Oh, you got Danza in there? Yeah. Well, that's like an automatic three stars. And also, Brie Larson was in this and The Spectacular now, so... So you got a theme of Brie Larson going on? <laughs> and people learning from each other. Did they learn from each other? Yeah, that's that's the thing. They, <laughs> they definitely learned from each other. Uh, Julianne Moore is in this. 
And her and Don John definitely learned from each other. <laughs> oh, my. Either way, highly recommend it. This might actually go in my top ten this year. Uh-oh. Yeah. That means I gotta hurry up and watch it. It's it's really good. I mean, it's it's a <clears throat> comedy, so it's it's pretty light, but it's just a really enjoyable film. Because at, at first you think, like, oh, this guy. This guy's gonna be tough to watch for 90 minutes. You know, because he's just such a... He's such a bro, you know? But at the same time, he turns out to be, like, a genuinely nice guy, for the most part. Gotcha. So, I definitely recommend Don John. Check it out. <laughs> Check it out. Uh, I watched, uh, as part of my getting, re- getting through these uh, 2013 films, was uh, Fruitvale Station. Mm. And right off the bat, Michael P. Jordan does an amazing job playing Oscar Grant. Uh, it, just, it like He has ridiculous chemistry with every single person in this movie. And the only problem I have is, and this was a big problem for me, is it seemed like all the characters were painfully aware of what was going to happen to Oscar at the end of the film. A, a lot like a lot like uh, Spielberg's Lincoln, like at the end where the, you know he's going to the going to see the play, right. yeah. and th- they're almost like it. It feels as though he's walking to his own funeral, and everyone's so solemn and sad. And that was the problem I had with this film: is everyone felt like that throughout the entire film is that they knew what was going to happen to Oscar at the end. Well, yeah, and that's that's what that's what this movie really does. I mean, it really lays it on thick. Yeah. With it, like you know, like the the scene involving the the dog when the dog gets hit by the car and he goes to save the dog. Like to me that was just like now, see, it was like I- they were just nailing it in so much that this guy was like such a really good guy and it was just you you knew that they were setting you up for disaster. Yeah, but I, and with this is, uh, I'm glad that you brought that up because I was a little confused by that. It's, like when I was watching the film, I was like, oh, I, I like that bit with the pit bull. Mm-hmm. I, li- I like what they're saying. It's sort of like a, a microcosm of how young uh, blacks are portrayed. And it's sort of like, you know, there's a whole correlation there. The car hits the dog and then just goes on with its life. And he's sort of there trying to pick up the pieces. So I was okay with that. I had more of a problem with like when his daughter's like, Oh, there's guns out there. And he's like, no, it's fireworks. And then like the little bit at the end where his mother's like, I told him to take the train. I'm like, we can surmise that you don't really have to say it. It's just, there's, there's little bits and pieces there, but I do, I have to say the way that they started the film, Ryan Coogler, that was, genius yeah i mean it's that's so it's much pretty more ballsy powerful. yeah that's so much more powerful to actually show the cell phone footage of the actual event than to merely just say you know based on a true story or you know the number of things that they always pop up on the beginning of the film with just text right i thought this was much more powerful it essentially ripped your heart out before the film even started mm-hmm. like my heart was like coming out of my chest yeah and we're only like two minutes into exactly the film. like i saw this in the theater and i remember like the first like five minutes of this movie i was just like already a mess and i was yeah. just like oh my god how am i gonna be able to deal with this i mean as soon as the cell phone footage stops i was like i wanted to stop yeah. like i was like i'm yep 
You wrecked me. <laughs> you completely wrecked me. I'm a shell of a man. I I just have to pick up the pieces of myself here because you just totally ruined me. But there was still a movie to go, and then you had to go through it again at mm-hmm. the end. And I just like I couldn't handle the end. And which is to say that it was done perfectly. It's just the way that they handled it was fantastic. It was. I just wanted to throw up the entire time. <laughs> and I thought I was having a heart attack the entire time. <laughs> yeah, it was, it's uh it's a very very powerful movie. And I think that for some people kind of the the emotional manipulation that happens in the movie, I think that some people can get past that. Like I was easily able to get past that because I was just so fully invested in this in the characters. Yeah. Like I just I love the characters so much in this and None of that even bothered me at all. Like I was, I was fully on board the whole time. Yeah, um, I, I think that the nice thing that Kugler also did was this sort of counter, counterbalance. The flaws that I had with the film was that he gave a very realistic depiction of Oscar Grant. He didn't go into like mythologizing and making him out right. to they be did, like they, completely innocent. Exactly, He's the greatest person that's ever lived. You know, it was just a very human portrayal of a man, flaws and all. One one interesting thing, I was listening to uh, a podcast that Brett Easton Ellis does. Do you know he does a he has his own podcast now? Apparently, that sounds awesome. Yeah. So he, I was listening to an episode of his podcast, and he had Judd Apatow on, and they were talking about Fruitvale Station, and Judd Apatow was saying like. It was one of his favorite films of the year, and it was just so powerful. And of course, Brett Easton Ellis was saying that he hated it. What? And surprise, he, yeah, no. And he was just he. But one point that he made that I that I think was interesting, and I, and it made me think about if they did it this way, was uh, intercutting the life of that cop that shot him into it, so we can get to know who that cop is as well. And it made me think about what how the movie would have played out if they had done that and if it would have been made it better or worse. Yeah, I can understand that. But I can also understand that, you know, the filmmakers didn't want to give that guy, you know, sort of like a platform. They wanted to focus on Oscar Grant. Yeah, that's that's true. But, I mean... But, and I will say it again, because I was just, a you know appalled at the end when it made me throw up even more is how he got off the the officer the bard officer he gets off because he says that he mistook the gun for his taser taser. which is the most bullshit thing i've ever heard in my entire life and i and this is another that brings me to my point again people fucking believed it yeah and like i said peers juries I, i just don't trust them because so many of them are not intelligent like how do you make that mistake are you kidding me? Well, you know, it was a it was a high pressure situation. Everybody was yelling and stuff. Like ju- judging from the footage, I- I'm not entirely sure that he mistook it for a taser. But I don't think he intended to shoot the kid. I think he did. You think? I mean, he, he, they already have him on the ground. There's like three guys on top of. Because when when you see the footage, it it when he pulls out the gun, it almost immediately fires. Like, he doesn't point it at him for a while and then shoot. It was like he pulled out the gun. As soon as he pointed it at him, it sh- he shot him. Yeah. It, so it seems like maybe it was an accident. But really, that's not... 
I don't I don't necessarily think that that's the point of the movie. It's not it's, like it, no 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 no. It's not. You know, it's definitely not the point of the movie. But it is just because I work with a lot of like ex police officers at work, so I talked to a couple of them, like because I don't really know anything about guns. So I just wanted to see, like, you know, is it possible to mistake the two? And pretty much every single one of them said you have to be a fucking idiot to mistake the two. Yeah, I think that that's bullshit. But you know, whatever. We we weren't in the situation, so it's it's really hard to say. Tragic. That's the main thing. Either way, Fruitvale Station is definitely one to see this year. If you haven't, uh, it will definitely be on my top ten. I see now, like, I gave it a six, but yeah. I'm still thinking about it. I'm, I think still, I review- I'm, still, I'm still mulling on it. I think I wrote a review for this on the site. Yes, you did. I yeah. don't remember what I gave it, though. I think you gave it a nine. I think I, I did. want to say, like, an eight or a nine. I know, on Letterboxd, I gave it a nine. Okay, I gave it an eight and a half. The next movie I saw was called The Battery, and I wanted to see this because I was compiling my top ten list of horror movies for 2013 which i implore you all to check out it's on the site now top 10 horror movies 2013 i have to say i was surprised by it it's uh i think that this was a a fairly mediocre year for horror movies like i so i didn't order them because i was i was gonna put put them in like a numerical order but then i was like you know what It, it was just too hard like so many of these movies were could could have gone any place on the list so i just put out what i believed were the best 10 and i wanted to see this movie called the battery directed by Jer- jeremy gardner before before i made this list because this this was a movie that got a, a little bit of buzz it's an indie movie it's a very 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 small movie this was made for six thousand dollars nice. if you can believe that and it's just about two two baseball players that get stuck in the zombie apocalypse and have to survive together. And the interesting thing about this movie is they're not really friends. They're just teammates, you know? Yeah. One is a pitcher, one is a catcher. And oh, that's why it's called the battery. Yeah. And they are just kind of forced to live together and be together to survive. And a very, very, very just minimalist movie. But it was it was so interesting to me to see, like, it's not necessarily a zombie movie. It's almost like a character piece. Just about these two guys that are forced to be in this situation and forced to deal with each other. And it was really funny. But at the same time, there were a lot of really interesting ideas in this. Like at one point, for a large portion of the film, uh, they 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 get stuck inside of a car. Like the car, they don't have the keys to the car, and they get overrun by zombies. So there's zombies completely surrounding the car, and they can't go anywhere. And it was just it kind of turned into this like containment thriller almost, where they're just stuck in this car for days on end and they, and they have no way to get out or you know nothing to do so they're just trying to figure that out but really interesting movie the acting is not great but uh it's it's pretty decent jeremy gardner is one of the main characters and he does a decent job uh the other guy adam 
Kronheim, not not great, but it wasn't enough to really, you know, pull me out of it too much. Yeah. But I always try to support these these indie horrors because I feel like they're the only ones that are even attempting yeah, something attempt- new. Yeah, exactly. And I felt I felt like this was like a genuinely unique take on the zombie movie, which I love zombie movies. It's my favorite type of horror movie, but at this point, it's stale. Like, well, it's I, think, stale. I, I think you can stretch that statement across pretty much all horror films, uh, a all lot. genres, a lot. Yeah, they're all becoming a bit stale. Yeah. but like you said, the the indies are the only ones that are really being or really showing any creativity. Yeah, I mean, like this, the, the battery resolution. And Jugface were like the three, like the three like major indies that I put on the top ten, and I feel like all three of those movies were at least trying to give, bring something yeah. unique. Now that's the one I really want to see is uh, Resolution. That one sounds really interesting. And that that is my that's if I did number them, that'd be my number one, I believe. And it's it's hard to even call that a horror movie. It's it's not. It's almost not even a horror movie, but uh, highly, highly worth checking out. I think all the ones on the list are worth seeing, but yeah, because I mean, horror is different to different people. Yeah, and like I've already had people say like, "Oh well," I put antiviral on there, and I had somebody say, "Well, antiviral is not a horror movie," and I was like, "Well, I I think it's definitely a horror movie." Like I understand that your definition of horror can vary. You know, yeah, there's yeah. There, there are definite gray areas with categorizing something as a horror movie, but if you see antiviral, I don't understand what else it would be if not a horror movie. I mean, science fiction, yes, but... Yeah, no, it definitely seems like a horror movie. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's a body horror movie, just like all of uh, David Cronenberg's earlier stuff. That guy's a dummy. <laughs> And he stopped listening. (laughs) I watched a documentary, uh, Cutie and the Boxer. Oh, I was going to watch this this week. Because I'm I'm also, I'm working on the top ten docs, and I wanted to see this. Okay, okay. I have a feeling that this will probably make your top ten docs. Uh, It's just a very, just, you know, sort of cinema verte style look into the life of uh, artist Ishio Shinohara and his wife Noriko and he just turned 80 in the film so he's celebrating his 80th birthday and he's still very much a struggling artist like most of the film is about them trying to come up with money to pay utilities and their rent because they just they don't have money and he's sort of fallen out of favor of course i mean he's 80 years old now he used to be you know a young hot thing back in like the 70s and he's just he's trying to he's trying to come back and at the same time his wife Nariko and they got married when she was like 19 years old and she wanted to be an artist too and she thought that this was going to be this amazing life that they were going to have together and then it sort of broke down because he became an alcoholic she got pregnant she was raising the kid while all he all he did was drink and hang out with his artist friends and like just watching her throughout you can just see all this like sadness and regret in her eyes like her whole life 
And so she tries to come up, like almost like reinvent herself as an artist. And she ends up doing these little drawings, uh, like telling her life story of her marriage and, you know, being a mother and everything. And she calls it uh, Cutie and the Boy. And it's pretty much just her life. And the nice thing about it is the director, you know how they always have to put in these like little animations and stuff to these documentaries? It seems like that's the (laughs) hot thing nowadays. Yeah. It actually works perfectly here because he, all he does is just animate her illustrations. Oh, yeah. So it works beautifully. And it's because I usually hate that animated stuff in these documentaries. But this was like the first time that I was like, that actually makes perfect sense and it works wonderfully. And overall, it's a great film for the most part. It, it does seem to be lacking a little bit. It's only 82 minutes long. And you sort of wish that there was there was some more substance here, but it's it's kind of hard to critique the film because it's just their lives. So right. in a in a sense, me saying that I wish there was something more here, I'm more not criticizing the documentary. I'm really just criticizing their lives. Be more interesting. Yeah, which is a terrible thing to do because if someone turned the camera on me, they'd be like, "Holy fuck, this is the most boring documentary I've ever seen in my life." So there's, I really don't have any place to really judge their lives right? and say that they, they should be more interesting. But it's definitely it, an interesting look because like right towards the end, they get sort of this, um, they both get their work shown in sort of the same show where he's the, the feature artist, but she has like her own like little side room mm-hmm. and he definitely gets a little jealous of her starting to, you know, get some attention. And he he comes off as a bit of a dick throughout at certain points because he <clears throat> sees himself as this great genius artist and she's just merely his assistant. They're uh, located in Brooklyn? Yes, I think so. Pretty, I'm pretty sure I read that they're in Brooklyn. And the interesting thing about him is the way that he paints is he puts, like, foam on boxing gloves. Oh, and yeah. Put, yeah. And put, puts paint on and starts... You know, and it's crazy to see like the young version of him doing it, and it's just all this like youthful energy, and it's just it's so visceral and everything. And then when you see him at eighty, it just it looks as though it's just merely frustration, like he's just fighting a wall. Mm. Well, but that's definitely, a, definitely that, worth checking out. That's on Netflix Instant, I think, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I saw Quentin Dupieux's Wrong Cops came out on video on demand this week. Uh, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't that into this, honestly. I was surprised to see that. Yeah, I, I wrote a review for the site. I, I ended up giving it, I think, a five and a half out of ten. It's really funny. There, there, there are moments of hilarity in this, in this movie. Um, but a lot of it, for me, didn't work. And the, the thing about Quentin Dupio's movies is, it's, it's all just personal preference. It's sort of like Tim and Eric. You know what I mean? Like it's to me, it's hard to criticize Tim and Eric or Quentin Dupio because everything that they do is intentional, and it'll certainly work for some people. Some people probably find it hilarious, and for other people, they just either won't get it or won't find it funny. And I thought that a lot of the elements of Wrong Cops were funny, but some a lot of it didn't work for me, and it was way too disjointed. Like, we know that he 
filmed it in segments, like episodes, I guess, and then put it all together. But there was like no plot, no direction. It was just completely random the whole time. And I think sometimes that works in movies where there's just kind of, you know, this meandering, directionless, plotless thing. Like, yeah, I sort mean, of like free form. Yeah. I mean, you look at movies like Clerks or Days and Confused or movies like that where there's not really, it's not really a plot. It just kind of goes. And I think that it works in some cases. In this case, I don't think it worked because it was all kind of done in almost vignettes. So you never really knew when it was going to end. And there really was no end and there really was no beginning. It was just kind of all there. And it feels more like sketches than, than all his other stuff, which, you know, his other stuff did still feel kind of like sketches. Yeah. This feels even more so because it, it'll follow one one of the cops and then go to another one of the cops and go through their story. I mean, they're all interconnected, but in the loosest ways possible, like just like they work together. So, you know, like they'll cross paths, you know, yeah. they'll be in the break room together. Uh, but there were a lot of funny parts. It was very absurd, just like all of Quentin Dupio's stuff, like like the one cop... And I will say Mark Burnham is he's pretty much like the main the main guy. He was the cop from Wrong as well. Yeah. He's like the main cop in this and he is hilarious. He is he's fantastic. I read a review for this by Mike D'Angelo for the Dissolve and he mentioned he he compared or he described Mark Burnham's character as a mixture of of uh Dwight Schrute and Ron Swanson. Nice. And I think that that is actually a pretty accurate description. Like, he's he's a cop, but he's a drug dealer. And for some reason, he likes to hide marijuana in dead rats and give them to people. Because he thinks that it's safer. So he carries around a bag of dead rats <laughs> for some reason. Uh, Marilyn Manson is in this, and he's hilarious. Everything, everything involving Marilyn Manson is really funny the mark burnham character ends up sort of kidnapping marilyn manson and tying him up and forcing him to listen to this electronic music and he takes his pants off and dances while listening to the electronic music oh my goodness eric wareheim's in it he plays a a really gross bastard of a character no there's a really funny scene though where it just shows him for like Maybe 15 or 20 seconds eating an egg salad sandwich and just spitting <laughs> spitting it out randomly, <laughs> which is pretty funny. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, so, if you liked Quentin Dupia's other, th- other movies, if you liked Rubber and you liked Wrong, it's probably worth checking out. Like I said, there are some really funny moments to it. There are some just ridiculous, completely ridiculous things in this movie, but... It just didn't quite come together for me like Wrong did. Gotcha. I did watch, we talked about it last week, I did watch Museum Hours. Ah, yeah. And I was excited, number one. You know I'm obsessed with art museums. Well, you've, yeah, you've been trying to see this since, what, back I, in March? Yeah, I've been wanting to see this for a long time. And I've heard nothing but good things for the most part. Um, and I had to say that I was hugely disappointed. Mm. Uh it's it's much like you said it's it's pretty boring and 
there's like a very thin, thin narrative that involves a woman from Canada going to Vienna to see her cousin that's in a coma in the hospital there. And they haven't really seen each other in a long time. And she's sort of lost in Vienna. And she takes, uh, like, she always goes to the art museum. That's sort of where she hangs out. And she ends up befriending one of the one of the guards there. And he sort of takes her around Vienna, shows her the sights, talks to the doctors for her, and just generally helps her out. And layered on top of that is a lot of rumination of the artwork that's shown at the museum, um, how it correlates with the way people see the world and see the city, and just how they, you know, they sort of intertwine with each other. And it's all very thought-provoking, but at the same time, I do feel that it's extremely easy to to uh, provoke thought with art because I think it's just inherent right. when looking at art. So... I don't, I don't know. The The best way I can describe this movie is I sort of went on a pleasant cinematic vacation with Bobby Sommer playing my dad and Mary Margaret O'Hara playing my mother. And we went on a vacation through Vienna. And it wasn't great, but at the same time, it wasn't awful. Overall, just like a slightly pleasant time. <laughs> like the best, you the are best really one. selling me on this I, movie. Yeah, no, I would for you stay away from this movie at all costs. I mean, I think you get the same the same thing that they're going for with this movie. I think you 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 gain the same thing as just going to an art museum. Yeah, yourself. Just, that that's and, actually what I was just gonna say. Well, like, well, sh- should I just go to an art museum? Yes, exactly. I, I love that's, art museums. Exactly, that's exactly what you should do. The only thing that, like I said, the only reason it was pleasant for me is. I'm more than likely never going to get to go to this art museum right. in Vienna. Yeah. And it's actually one of like the best art museums in the world. And so it was nice to see it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I mean, like it's pleasant <laughs> to see some of the sites, but other than that, it was just very lackluster. Mm. Uh, that is available. Is that available on Netflix instant or did you get the disc? I got the disc. Okay. So it's out on DVD now. Uh, I saw saving Mr. Banks. Oh yeah, a little save, Mister Banks. Now I had no interest in seeing this, not really. I had a slight curiosity, I guess you could say. Uh, I I didn't like it. Um, at least not. I liked it. Just I there were it's like half of it I didn't like. So uh, basically, from the trailers, I mean you know the story. It, it's about when Walt Disney was trying to co- uh, court. P.L. Travers, the author of Mary Poppins, in order to get the rights to make the movie. Okay. And I loved all the stuff involving Walt Disney and P.L. Travers. Like, all that stuff was great. And fortunately, that was a big part of the movie. Unfortunately, there's also a part of the movie that consists of flashbacks of when she was a child and the relationship with her father, and her family. And it turns out her, uh, her father's played by Colin Farrell, and it turns out he was a big alcoholic, and it was her childhood and her past that came to shape the story of Mary Poppins. So I don't know what they had to do. or 
I don't know of any other way that they could have done it, but I wish that they didn't include all these flashbacks because right when I was getting into the story, it'd be like, oh, flashback, and I'm just like, God damn it. God damn it, we're back here again in this, like, boring-looking farm town, and we're dealing with Colin Farrell being a drunk, and I just I couldn't stand any of the flashback stuff it felt so (laughs) sappy and fake and just i was not into it at all and then as soon as i'm like all right i'm done with this they bring it back you know to the 60s and then we get back into the whole thing where she's kind of this curmudgeon and she just hates everything and she's just constantly like knocking them down and you know jason schwartzman and bj novak play the the composers and the songwriters of the film, so they're constantly trying to come up with new ideas and stuff. She's she's shooting everything down, and it's really funny. Like it's it's really really funny. And um, uh, Paul Giamatti plays the chauffeur. He does a great job, and I believe it's uh, it's Bradley Whitford. He's he's the guy from uh, West Wing, right? And he was in mm-hmm. Cabin yeah. in the Woods. He yes. does a fantastic job in this as well. Very, very funny. So I loved all that stuff. I thought it was really interesting to see, you know, Disney back in the 60s and see The Office and see what Disneyland looked like back then. Like, that was all really cool to me. Yeah. But the flashback stuff, I couldn't get behind. I also had this... Sucking you out. I had this, like, nagging feeling the whole time in the back of my mind, like, this is a Disney movie about disney is this how it turned is this is this really how it went down like you know is this really what's going on here and and so that was like kind of the whole thing too like you know like yeah obviously exactly what you're talking about obviously disney is not going to say anything bad about themselves no they're always going to put their disney spin on everything yeah so i was just kind of wondering if that's really how this played out but I, I don't know. Either way, the stuff that was in the the more modern times was great. Any of the flashback stuff I absolutely hated. <laughs> you really hate knowing those flashbacks. Yeah, that was, that was just terrible to me. I just couldn't stand it. Speaking of flashbacks, I watched The Past, the mm. new uh, Asgar Fahardi movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I actually have a review up on the, on the site, so I'll, I'll keep this rather short. But and the reason I say flashback is it there's so many correlations to his last film, A Separation, that it almost feels like a French remake. Hmm. There's I mean it's just a number of familiar themes and characters and everything. And one of the, the biggest correlations, which is actually the positive, is man, does he get some good performances out of people? Like everyone that's in this film does an amazing job. And I give it like a slight recommend, even though, like I said, it's pretty similar to a separation. They did make little tweaks here and there that it's that it is like a comfortable distance away from a separation, and it's a pretty solid follow up yeah, to no. what I consider like a modern masterpiece. Now, did you see that the the Oscar the shortlist for the foreign language film uh, nominations for the Oscars came out? this week and this wasn't on there and a lot of people were like what i i i can can you see that I, I, yeah i can, can agree you with see that. what hmm. yeah 
Interesting. I mean, it's it's a solid film, and I mean that's another thing that's a little, it's it's difficult because for for Heidi, his last film was just amazing. So you always have that inherent. Yeah. It's never it's good tough. enough, and you're sort of a bit harsher on it than you should be because of the film that came before it. But I, I mean, it's a solid film. I definitely recommend it. But it didn't blow me away. Hmm. Okay. The past, uh, I believe that's playing in select cities right now. Uh, anything else? I, I don't really. I saw a bunch of other stuff, but I don't feel like talking about it. I, I saw one other film that I would like to talk about, and that is The Selfish Giant. Oh, yeah. Which I finally got to see. This was much like uh, Museum Hours. I've been wanting to see this thing forever. And it was. It blew me away. Uh, this is Cleo Bernard's, I think, first feature. She made that uh, that documentary, uh, The Arbor, which was like a very experimental documentary. And this is her first narrative feature. And the main character's name is actually Arbor, played by Connor Chapman. He's a young kid. Two kids. <clears throat> They're like bestest friends, Arbor and Swifty. They look out for each other. Uh, they live in a very poor part of town. They're... Both of their families really don't have anything. And they, uh, Connor Chapman gets in a shit ton of trouble very quickly at school because he is like the most foul mouthed kid I've ever seen in my life. And he gets expelled forever. Swifty gets expelled <laughs> for like 10 days. And this is it. And it, and it, they make it seem like he's been kicked out of like every single school Arbor has. So he's pretty much done at the age of like 13. So he gets into the scrapping business. He starts, you know, going around with a, a horse and cart and just scrapping metal, trying to find, you know, stealing copper wire, doing whatever they can just to earn some money to pay the bills. I mean, Swifty's parents are like selling their furniture to pay bills. Like they're just sitting on the floor in their house. And it's all going somewhat smooth. I mean, as smooth as a desolate life like this can go and the problem is that Arbor starts stealing some of the copper that people are already bringing into the scrapyard and he's going to try and resell it at another scrapyard and of course he gets caught and he has to you know replace all this stolen copper and the way that they do it I mean through the entire film you know something terrible is going to happen and something terrible does happen and it is awful and it will wreck you and it's unbelievably sad. Well, I plan on watching that very soon. So that, yeah, that's on have, demand. So I'm definitely going to. Yes, I have a feeling that you will absolutely love this film. Yeah, I, I'm definitely going to see it before my um, before I make my top ten. So <clears throat> highly recommend it. Is it is it going to be on your top ten? I have a feeling. Yes, I'm having an extremely difficult time picking. I, yeah, I haven't even started. Like I, I have, I'm sitting at twenty right now. <laughs> Yeah. Can I just do a top 20? Uh, no. Damn it. <laughs> We're going to say no on that. All right. Uh, well, let's go ahead and jump into American Hustle. So this is directed by David O. Russell. Stars a, a great ensemble cast of people, including Christian Bale, Bradley Cooper, Amy Adams, Jeremy Renner, Jennifer Lawrence, Louis C.K., is in this? Yeah, I did not know that. I, I didn't either. This. Uh, Michael Pena and an uncredited role by Robert De Niro 
which was also a surprise when he popped up on screen. Indeed. Uh, I have the synopsis here. A con man, Irving Rosenfeld, along with his seductive British partner, Sidney Prosser, is forced to work for a wild FBI agent, Richie DeMasso. DeMasso pushes them into the world of Jersey power brokers and mafia. Uh, she's not British. Well, the, her British version is not named Sidney Prosser. That's like her American <laughs> version. Yeah. I forget what was like Eva Kingsley or something. Was the, the, like her British name? It wasn't Eva. It was something. I, it was something like that, though. Yeah. God damn it. I can't believe I forgot already. Well, yeah, unfortunately, I've seen this a few days ago now, so I've pretty much forgot everything that happens in the entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I wrote a review on this, so we'll start with your your thoughts, Kevin. What did you think of American Hustle? Um, I enjoyed it. I thought it was it was very entertaining. Two hours in the movie theater, and I I like it for what it is, which is essentially the same way that I was with. Uh, Silver Linings Playbook is to me. It's just an entertaining Hollywood film. So thoroughly enjoyed it. It it feels like David O. Russell just created this playground for his actors to just run wild. Yeah, and just have as much fun as they want. Yeah, and it was a lot funnier than I thought it was going to uh, be. It was uh, a million times funnier than I thought it was going to be. I was it, laughing like hysterically at yeah, times. Yeah, the whole time it's just nonstop. Um. And again, like I said, for like a Hollywood movie, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I'd much rather have David O. Russell making Hollywood films than most of the Hollywood directors. It, if, you it, sort, if you sort of understand, you know. I, I, know what you, I know what you're saying, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I loved this movie. I think that this will probably be on my top ten. I thought it was just fantastic. I had so much fun with it. A lot more fun than I thought. It felt like a Scorsese movie to me. Like, very, very much like a Scorsese movie. Okay. Just with, like, a lot of added... Yeah, I was actually... ...comedic beats. I was surprised that... Uh, I've read a couple of reviews that are saying that. I To me, it felt more like a uh, P.T. Anderson film without the emotional resonance. More of, like, a comedy... Uh... I could I could see some shades of P.T. Anderson in there, maybe. Just, I don't know if it was, like, the soundtrack mixed with the ensemble, mixed with some of the camera work that was in there. Gave me that that type of feel. I don't know, maybe it's just Boogie Nights that was making me feel like that. Yeah, it could be. They, they did do a lot of the, where the sound, where it's just playing the song. Yeah. And we're seeing what's happening on screen with, with no no other sound, just the music. They did that at least three or four times in this, which I always like it when they do that in movies, as long as they do it at the right spots. Yeah. And I felt like that that was, that was done. I mean, the, the interesting thing about this is you have this huge cast of people, and everybody sort of has their own little relationships, but they all have their own motivations too. And yes. the film starts off fairly slow. So, like, you have... You know, Christian Bale and Amy Adams as these these two con men that are working together and they start ripping off people that are trying to get loans and they're selling stolen art or fake art and stuff. And they're pretty small time, but after Bradley Cooper comes in, into play, 
things just start to slowly escalate. And then eventually, at one point, you just realize, like, holy shit, this is completely out of control. And, like, everybody's involved. Everybody Mm -hmm. is conning each other and double-crossing each other. You never know, like, who's who's being genuine and who's just like playing the other side and stuff. And I just, I thought that that was just so much fun. Yeah. And I just love how out of control it got. <laughs> like it, it just did. It got crazy out of control. <laughs> yeah. And the whole time you're thinking like, okay, Richie, he's a federal agent and he's the most out of control yeah. person out of everyone. <laughs> and and that was the thing because they set it up and you, and you think like Christian Bale's character of Irving Rosenfeld is the biggest sleaze ball in the world. Like that's yeah. that's what you think at the beginning. Like they set it up right from the start. Like they show his like big bloated gut and his comb over that takes like twenty five minutes. I, I do love the fact that they started the film with his step by step process of that comb over. Yeah. Because <laughs> if they wouldn't have done that, I would I the entire film I would have been like, how does he do it? Yeah. It would it would have nagged me. So I'm glad that they got that straightened out like right off the bat yeah yeah but by the end of the film you're you, you kind of switch sides and you're just like well christian bale is <laughs> yeah. real he's like the decent one you he's know the moral, he's the moral compass yeah this damn film what the hell happened yeah i mean him him and jeremy renner are really the only two characters that that you're just like okay yeah these are these are pretty good guys like yeah they they care about other people Whereas everyone else seems to only care about themselves and, you know, it, I just thought that that was really interesting. And, uh, the, the characters themselves were so exaggerated and so over the top that I com- I loved it. Like, I, I thought that at first I was like, man, these, these people are really playing into like the time period and they're, they're all just cartoons you know, mm-hmm. and at first I was like, okay, this might be a problem. But then when I realized that just that's kind of the tone of the whole movie, that it's supposed to be completely blown out of proportion over the top. And once once I saw that that was how this movie was going to play out, I was like completely into it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's, a, that's what I'm saying. It's sort of, it's just a Hollywood film where it just seems like these actors are just, they're given a chance to just have fun. With the time period, with the hair pieces, oh my god, the hair! The hair was the hair is funny. Probably how, like the highlight of the film. And it's funny how the the hair literally played a big part in the movie because they kept showing like they would always show the hair, and every character in this movie had crazy hair, <laughs> like pretty, everybody. Yeah, pretty much everyone does except Louis C.K. He kept his hair. Yeah, his hair's just normal. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I, I. Yeah, there is so much comedy in this film, like you said. Like, at first, I was a little trepidatious with the start of the film. Like, it started off strong, and then they went towards the, like, the voiceover, like, sort of filling in the history of Bale and Adamson's character. Mm-hmm. And I, that's where I started to worry. I was like, oh, my God, I hope they don't do this, like, the whole movie. Because I just, I hate that type of, um No, that, you know, that felt like... The- that felt like a Scorsese nod to me. Yeah, I can see that. But it, it, that was the part that I disliked the most. That and the, the scene with uh, Jennifer Lawrence, Dustin. I thought that was unnecessary. But, 
Yeah, once you realize what the tone of the film is, is that it's just sort of ridiculous comedy and over to the top, it's, it just becomes a very, very enjoyable ride. And I just love the, the back and forth between Louis C.K. and Bradley Cooper about the ice fishing story. The, yeah, the story. <laughs> and especially at the very end in the hallway. Yeah. Where he's like, I'm not going to tell you. My brother died at a later date. Just, I just... I. <laughs> Because it was just this like, just this like perfect, this, this perfect metaphor of exactly what Bradley Cooper was doing with the entire investigation is what he was doing with trying to figure out what mm-hmm. the what the ice fishing story is, and it just I I, it, I enjoyed it so yeah. much, and it, like you said, they do a fantastic job of like towards the end that you're not really sure who's conning who now. Like, you sort of get mixed up, and you're not really sure if Bale and Amy Adams if are yeah. still... Are they still conning, or are they actually, like, broken up completely? Is Amy Adams doing her own thing and going to con everybody? And just, you completely... It gets so convoluted towards the end that you're just like, I have no idea. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know who's conning who anymore. They, they'll tell me. I'll, I'll figure it out then. It was funny, though, because, like... Towards the end, I just I felt so bad for I felt so bad for Christian Bale, and I don't know why, but I really felt bad for him. Like with the whole like his heart pills and yeah, just his mannerisms. Well, for some reason, I felt like really bad for him. Well, I think the main thing is is like for Christian Bale and then for the viewer too. Like when you start seeing what this whole app scam thing is, you're thinking to yourself like this it's is ridiculous wrong. this yeah. is wrong like they're not really you know like jeremy renner's character leaves they essentially like talk him into it yeah i mean it's all entrapment like yeah. it's, they're they're all force almost forcing them coercing them into doing this and that's the other thing like jeremy renner's character i felt bad for him the entire time because yeah. he just seemed like such a genuinely good guy he just wanted to rebuild Atlantic City. Yeah. And he was having trouble doing it. This this opportunity comes up. He thinks it's really weird. It's bizarre. So he gets the hell out of there. And then they go after him and sort of coerce him back into the deal. And then they just, you know, throw out a net and try and catch as many people as possible through all of the actions that they're doing. Like, no one else is doing anything. The, the, the federal government is setting all of this up. Mm-hmm. So I, it's very, it's very tricky ground that you get into here. Oh, and, th- and this is a true story too. I mean, that's that's one thing to note. At, at least the, you know, the sting operation and all that stuff was. And then really happened. And I do love the 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 number of characters that are just sort of caught in this world where everything's like getting completely out of hand. And over the top, and they're just really dealing with like gross incompetence. Like Christian Bale trying to deal with Bradley Cooper, and Bradley Cooper just keeps fucking up the entire operation because yeah. he won't listen to Christian Bale. And then you have Bale's wife, played by Jennifer Lawrence, who just can't keep her damn mouth shut and just pretty much ruins everything. And then Louis C.K. too, who just realizes that this whole thing is just completely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And he can't believe that like his boss is buying into it. And they just all want to get famous. Yeah, and they all have he, an agenda. Yeah, And he's like the only reasonable guy there. <laughs> yep. They, they all have an agenda. 
yeah and that that was the thing that i like i liked it when they brought like when jennifer lawrence's character started getting involved and it's like holy shit like she's playing a part in this now too like mm-hmm. she she's involved in this and then but no but no one really like fills her in yeah so she she ends up saying <laughs> everything that she shouldn't say yeah and and i also like how they set her up to be this kind of like airheaded you know wife but then it becomes clear like she's clearly hustling christian bale like from the beginning like she's she I think it was a lot more cunning than what she made made oh, yeah. herself appear. Yeah, she she knows exactly how to get yeah where his sweet spot is and how to get her hooks into him. And, and I love the kid. whole I love the whole uh, the microwave. There's this, everything the science oven. Everything involving the science oven. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing is how she's able to justify all of her terrible decisions. <laughs> yeah, the fires, all the fires. <laughs> Uh, how she almost gets her husband killed. Yeah. And it's all motivation. Yep. Yep. That, that she did all that on purpose. I I thought that that was great. Um like right from the beginning, uh I want to also mention the intro, the intro logos, like the Anapura logo and all the intro stuff I, that they do. I I love any time that they do. Love this. it when they do that. I always I always feel like I have to mention that because keep it up. Keep they need it. to do that with everything cuz as soon as those logos came up, I was like, "Yes!" Like yeah. I, I knew. Like I was already excited. And it gets you. It it sucks you into the setting. Yep. Like yep. yes. And, and we're in the seventies. Let's do this. And that's the thing. Like David O. Russell was like, "Okay, this movie, t- this story takes place in the seventies. We're gonna fucking make it the seventies." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, they, they there was like everything that you can think of seventies wise was in this movie. I mean, it was all in there and uh like the music i thought the soundtrack was amazing loved all the music in it i loved the the ridiculous hair the ridiculous clothing there was more side boob in this movie than i think i've ever seen in any movie ever yeah it's more side boob than the front page of huffington post (laughs) it's ridiculous it's it's unbelievable and it's crazy because it's pretty much all amy adams oh yeah like every (laughs) every shirt that she wears is side side, yeah it's side boob um and another thing just a small mention is shea wiggum i thought he did a pretty good job in this film he had a very small role but I'm liking I'm liking seeing more and more of him. Mm-hmm. And I look forward to seeing him in Wolf of Wall Street too. I, for whatever reason, I think that guy does great work. Well, yeah, like he was, uh, and his hair was great too. His hair was just ridiculous. Yeah, I'm a big fan of him too because I I like Boardwalk Empire a lot, and uh, he he's in Boardwalk Empire, and also the the guy that was that got involved with Jennifer Lawrence. He was in he's in Boardwalk Empire too. Okay. And uh, he, uh, Jack Houston is his name. Makes and, sense to pull some guys from there. Yeah. Since it's about Atlantic City. Yep, absolutely. So I think I gave, I think I gave American Hustle eight and a half out of ten. What are you, what are you looking at out of ten? I'd probably go like a eight. Eight. They have it. Eight. American what Hustle. Was, real quick though, what was your, what was your favorite hair? Since we're talking so oh, much about hair, man. what's? Should we rate the hair real quick? Quick run I, I love there was one thing that I noticed regarding the hair. Uh I love when 
there would be the conversations between Bradley Cooper and Amy Adams, and they would both have the rollers in their hair, like the phone <laughs> conversations. I felt like there was this, some sort of connection there where you could tell that these two characters had more in common with each other than her and Christian Bale. Yeah. Like, there was more of a connection there. But I I think I have to give it to Christian Bale, just because... Christian ba- I, <laughs> I just want to know what that... What was the, you know, what he... The patch that he puts on yeah, top. Was like, that what was like, that? Was that pubic hair or was that? Like, I don't know. But that that's why. Just like a, did he sweep that up at like a salon? That's why I'm I'm himself? picking that because he's using a prop in his hair. <laughs> Plus the fact that it all takes like 15 minutes. Yeah, and that's the entire beginning of the film. It's just him getting that together, and then Bradley Cooper just straight fucks it up within like five minutes. Yeah. And then it becomes a whole thing. <laughs> I love it when he walks up and messes up his hair. And, and Christian Bell just stands there like he, he's completely silent. He doesn't say a word. He's just completely flabbergasted that that happened. He just stares at it. Oh, God. I want to see this again now. I do, too. Um, yeah, I think I might. I think it's a tie between that and Bradley Cooper's. Like, if I didn't see it in Rollers... It would definitely be Bale. But then yeah, they added that the little scene with the rollers in. And then towards the end, Amy Adams even makes a point of talking about his yeah. term and saying, yeah, it looks good on you for some people. Yeah. The- it's just oh, fantastic. Whoever did the hair for that movie, fantastic job. Yeah. I mean, everybody, every character had a different hairdo. And it was like almost like the, the, the hair was a character in and of itself. <laughs> That's how they were introduced. They were introduced by their hair first. Yeah, every everybody had a unique style too. Like Jeremy Renner had a, had his own style, and oh was, man, that pompadour was yeah. And it was like the the hair was like represented the character's personality almost to a T. You know, you look at Jennifer Lawrence; she has like the the big wild blonde hair, Very and nice. especially when she starts dancing and it starts going all over the place, and it's a complete mess. Oh God! But yeah, I think what we're saying is this movie's about hair. It is. It's ultimately it's about hair. <laughs> I also want to quickly mention I'm not going to give away any spoilers, but I love the the twist at the end when Christian Bale reveals like the big the big reveal. Yeah, and they yeah. go over like how I just I thought that that was awesome. But it was fantastic. There you have it, American Hustle. Go see it in theaters now. Check it out. All right, let's uh, talk about some predictions. Anchorman 2, The Legend Continues, which we haven't seen yet, or I haven't seen it yet. I haven't either. I I, I am meaning to see this. You said 64, I said 65, actual 75. Oh, wow. Yeah. So now I'm even more excited to see it. Her, uh, you said 88, I said 94, actual 92. Nice. I'm glad I was wrong. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited for that. Uh, Walking with Dinosaurs, you said 56, I said 58, actual 28. Wow. Ouch. Did you yeah, it, see, did, it did look awful. Did you see they made a movie about the Coca-Cola polar bears? Yes, yes I did. Ugh. Yes I did. It's That looks ridiculous. You know, I, I actually have to say that to a, to a certain extent, I sort of applaud the restraint. I'm surprised that it took him until 2013 to make a film and try and capitalize on those. Yeah. 
Well, here's the thing. I think a movie about those polar bears wouldn't be bad, except the fact that they made them talk. Yeah. I'm, I was just thinking, like, it, it would actually be really cool, and I'd be interested to see a movie about those polar bears if they were just polar bears and they didn't talk. You know, they could still go on adventures and, and drink their Coke, but <laughs> just not... Now that they have voices, it's it's not as cool anymore. <sighs> yeah, voices do ruin it. Yeah. Stupid cartoon, goofy cartoon voices. All right. Next week we have... Or this week, I guess, we have Secret Life of Walter Mitty. Mm. What are you thinking on this? Like a, if it if it helps, it's the early reviews have not been good. I think it has a score in Rotten Tomatoes right now, and it's pretty low. Okay, I'm gonna say like a 54. I'm gonna say 49. Okay, I have a feeling that this is gonna be sort of a split. I want to see it. I, I am planning it, on seeing it. It does. It does look interesting. Yeah, I, I think I'm gonna go see it on Christmas Day. Uh, Lone Survivor. Uh, this is the one with Mark Wahlberg and Emil Hirsch. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, people on this. A lot of people. Directed by Peter Berg, though. Not a fan. Okay, what's, what's Peter, who's Peter Berg? Battleship. Ah, okay. But you know, P, I, 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 I follow you. I completely forgot about this, but Peter Berg directed Very Bad Things. That was the first movie he ever did. Oh, Okay. I but like, it's also got Taylor Kitsch in it. Ugh. That's usually not a good sign. Uh, early reviews for this have been pretty good, so I'm going to say 78. Yeah, it does have Ben Foster in it. And I think that it's that's actually going to be That sort of balances list. out the Kitsch part. Oh, man. What do you say? I said what 78, but I have a feeling it's going to be higher than that. Okay. I'm going to say, like, ooh, 76. Okay, and 47 Ronin is the other wide release. This is the Keanu Reeves one. Uh, now, this one was supposed to come out a long time ago, and it got delayed. So that's not a good sign. No. What are you thinking on That's never a good sign. And isn't this a remake of, like, a classic samurai film? There is another samurai film, I believe, called 47 Ronin, but I don't know if it's necessarily a remake or not. Okay. <clears throat> Plus 47 Ronin seems like a lot of Ronin. Well, they're going up against like millions of. It's a lot of Ronin. I don't know. Overall, it sounds just bland. I'm going to say like a. I'm going to go 47. Get it? Do you get it? I do get it. That's fairly clever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say 42. You were going to say 47, weren't you? But I took it. No, I wasn't. I mean, I didn't. Re- I didn't think about my number actually. I think it's gonna be low anyway. What about, I'll say forty-two, uh, Ronin. Forty-two. <laughs> Five less. Get the job done. God damn. And finally, we have the Wolf of Wall Street. I am so unbelievably excited. I yeah, I am like over the moon about this movie. I I cannot wait. This is one of those films where, it, like, it, right now it's a 10 out of 10. I know. I know. Like, I haven't seen it yet, but essentially when I'm watching the film, the only thing that can happen is it could drop. It's, it's oh, I'm going in with a 10 out of 10. 
Yeah. So normally you go with the zero, and I go in a zero, up. and it builds up. Mm-hmm. I can't, once in a blue moon, a film comes along where I go in, and it's a ten out of ten. Yep. I think that this looks absolutely amazing. So I'm actually gonna say like uh, ninety six. Ninety six. I mm, I like that. I'm gonna go ninety. I'm gonna go ninety five. This is also one of those films where this rarely ever happens. But I'm gonna actually be sad when it opens because I don't get to see the trailers anymore. I know. Like how, how often does that yeah, happen? Yeah. Every once in a while, there will be a trailer that I just love it every time it comes on. Just uh, the, Matthew McConaughey's noises. Yeah. Just like a masterclass of noises. I remember one year we did a top ten trailers for the year. I wonder if we should do that this year. I really like the out of the. Well. I really like the out of the furnace trailer. Yeah, that was talk about uh, talk about misleading. You, yeah, getting you pumped up <laughs> and then letting you down hard. Yeah, yep. Anyway, um, next week on video on demand, there's only two that I want to mention. There's only two that I could find actually. <laughs> yeah, there's not. There's like nothing coming out. Yeah, uh, one is Open Grave uh, with Charlto Copley. It looks like something of a thriller. About a guy who wakes up in an open grave with like a mass grave of hundreds of bodies, and okay. he doesn't remember who he is or how he got there. Looks looks pretty interesting. Okay, I'll I'll uh, probably be checking that one out. And then best night ever, which we are also checking out begrudgingly, uh, which is a found footage. Huh. It's a found footage huh. movie. It's like sort of like The Hangover, but with with uh, girls. Yeah, it looks pretty rough, but maybe it'll, maybe there'll be some comedy in it. I don't know, but we'll we'll have a review for that up as well. No, oh, that sounds terrible. Yep, uh, DVD and Blu-ray releases, not a whole lot. I have the Adventures Adventures in the Sin Bin, which <laughs> that that one didn't that one didn't appeal to me at all, and oh god. The name, the title of that movie is just terrible. Uh, plus the cover. And the, yeah, the cover's really bad, too. Like, the movie didn't look too bad. I think it takes place uh, in the 60s, right? Uh, it's about, like, these g- group of kids that get a van and they, like, charge people to rent it out to have sex in it. Yeah, I mean, you got Bo Burnham, Jillian Jacobs, Jeff Garland, Tim Blake Nelson... But the cover screams that it's one of those National Lampoon yeah. rip-offs. If you watch the trailer, you'll see that it's not, but it still doesn't uh, appeal to me whatsoever. Like, it's a Ryan movie, for sure. It's definitely a Ryan movie. Uh, then we have Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters, which, for some reason, I thought came out, like, a year ago. Are you serious? On DVD. I thought this movie came out like three years ago. Maybe it's a re-release of some sort, but it's on the list here. But I don't know. Hansel Crow apparently came out in theaters in January. That's how long of a year it's been. It yeah. honestly feels like this movie came out like two years ago. Yeah, but I thought that it came out on DVD and Blu-ray like a long time ago. Probably did. Uh, either way. Or it was the Asylum one. Yeah. <laughs> Hansel and Gretel get baked. <laughs> that one. Oh god. Uh and we also have Insidious Chapter Two. Did you oh, see that? Yeah. I did not see that. No. I yeah, probably stay that. away from that one. Probably won't see that. Una noche. I still haven't gotten to see this one yet. 
Hopefully this will come play instead. Imagine it will. And more than more than honey, which I believe is a documentary about bees. Oh. Bees are interesting. It looks like an interesting documentary. I think that it I think that it's about if because I guess the, the bee population is declining. Like bees mm-hmm. are just disappearing. There's pretty much no like wild honeybees. Yeah, and I think that it's, it's all farm. I think that it might be about what would happen if they were gone completely. Yeah, I think they are completely gone in China. I think they're extinct in China. I think I remember just reading that a little while ago. I think they. I think basically they're saying if bees are become extinct, we're all going to die. Pretty much, but I think in China they actually like they hand fertilize all the flowers and stuff. Hand pollinate. It's, yeah, high hand pollinate. There you go. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah, I think they actually do it all on their own. Imagine having that job. Be kind of shitty. <laughs> uh, any any other ones that I might have missed? No, but that's all that's no, coming out. Not whole lot of nothing. Whole lot of nothing. All right. Well, I think that that'll wrap it up. For all the latest film news and reviews, visit us at filmpulse.net. Send us an email at feedback at filmpulse.net. Follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net. And be sure to raise on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. For filmpulse.net, my name is Adam. And I'm Kevin. And we'll see you on Thursday for Ryan Watches a Movie. Fuck yeah.